Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. We've got another episode of the Modern Mobile Oil Field, and this actually is the second part of an episode addressing how your organization or yourself can tackle the data monster. So if you did miss part one, uh, you'll want to watch that as it does address the importance of data quality and why it will have a growing role in the oil and gas industry. And also before we get into it, you know we've got a YouTube channel, but perhaps you don't know that it's been getting better. Look at it last episode, for example. Sure, some hiccups, but we're even sure to improve from that. So we're going to keep moving forward. We hope you keep moving forward with us. And uh, you definitely won't be as entertained if you're just listening. Don't get me wrong. We appreciate the support, but we want you to get the most out of this. So go ahead and search Rare Petra on YouTube. But that is all for the housekeeping, and it is time we get into the episode. You ready, Jeffrey? I am as ready as I'm going to be, so <laughs> rock and roll. All righty. So we have explained how data may appear intimidating at first, but there are ways to make it work for you. I know we've given a great bird's eye view of how to go about that, but let's make use of one of my classic hypotheticals. Uh, I'm an organization who is ready to embrace the change of data management, and uh, I watched the video, the last episode that Tavis and Jeffrey did, and I thought they had some pretty good points. So I've got my boxes, my old drives, my multiple databases, and I'm quite simply overwhelmed. How might I even begin to think about a plan for transforming and cleaning this data from a logistics perspective? Well, to begin, the challenge of uh, most organizations will face is that uh, they don't really know what data holdings they actually have, and they're not sure of the quality of the data that they have, and they don't have a clear line of sight as to what they're going to do with that data when and if they had it in, in hand. Uh, so uh, the first uh, task uh, or, or order of business is to go and, and just get your arms around uh, the data holdings that you have. Most uh, managers and supervisors and employees will know where the, the, the most valuable data sets are and which ones they, they consistently rely on. Uh, so there's, there's task one. Go in and, um, and build, that, um, build that, um, uh, that, that index of data that, that you have in hand. Uh, second is the, frequently the data that, that um, is in hand is not set up or structured in a fashion that it actually can be useful. Uh, as an example, uh, a major capital project will hand data over to the operator at the end of that project, but the data will have been built for the, the constructor of the asset, not necessarily the guys who, and gals who have to operate the asset. So sometimes data structure is going to become a problem. And then of course, there's this broader, even broader challenge of how do you manage and get your, or your arms around the kinds of practices that make a lot of sense in managing uh, data assets. And for that, uh, what I recommend is that companies go and uh, look at or, or consult with those organizations that are really, really good at this. And they may not be companies that are in oil and gas. It may be that you go and, and speak with the likes of uh, Amazon or Google or Microsoft. These organizations specialize in in, in helping other organizations manage and administer large data sets. And in the case of Amazon, they have their own enormous data set uh, uh, collections uh, that, they, uh, that they administer. So looking to others outside the industry actually is a really, really good practice uh, to help uh, answer the, this challenge of managing data. So it sounds like getting a handle on what data is available and what it can accomplish is clearly the first step. Next, I would imagine the goals and the structure of the data plan will have to be relayed to employees and not just whoever's at the top. Is that correct? Yeah, that's precisely correct. You know, the, the, the behaviors that, that uh, have uh, contributed to poor quality data 
and, and that are deeply seated in organizations have to be changed if you ex hope or expect that the quality of the data at that point forward is going to somehow get better. So uh, companies have to take a close look at what it is that drives uh, the, the poor quality data in, in their organizations uh, and, and do what they can to move it forward. I would point out most of the time, this is not the, the, the frontline employee's fault. They're, they're doing their very, very best to uh, run, do their jobs and, and be successful and help the company move forward. But if you have a, a, a mobile app that, does, that has a whole bunch of fields to be filled in and you don't provide simple things like drop-down lists with correct data that employees can just select, it should be no surprise that a, a finger in the cold weather is going to choose the wrong data. So, you know, this is a, a responsibility for management to, to, to do what, everything they can to help move the quality of the, of the data up. But this, it does really start with uh, our bigger questions like who actually is responsible here and, and, and has to take accountability for, uh, for, for information and asset quality? Is it, is it the IT function? Is it their job? Or is it the line of business manager whose, whose business unit is more dependent on, on, on the data? Um, are, are, there, are there guidance and, and um, incentive structures in place that, that, that motivate and reward uh, the right sorts of things like high quality uh, information assets? And, uh, you know, when I, when I, again, when I think about who's really good at this, it's, it might not be organizations in oil and gas. It, it may very well be organizations outside of this industry. Perfect. So I've addressed a sort of roadmap for my organization. And I do remember how much you had stressed standardization earlier in that last episode. So how do I frame my organization's goals and objectives for data, data acquisition and organization as we move forward? Well, at first blush, um, the, the simple answer is uh, to land on, on what it is, uh, the, the attributes of that, that data that you're looking to assemble or to, or to collect. What do you want it to, to, the characteristics that you want it to, to, to evidence? And uh, here's just a few examples. Um, high, the data should be highly reliable. Uh, the data should be, uh, have, suffer from or have very, very low levels of, of duplication. Um, remember the, the early, uh, in the previous episode, we talked about redundant, obsolete, and, and trivial data. So uh, what practices are in place so that redundant data is identified quickly and, and removed, that, that uh, you're only going to a single, um, single point of, uh, of reference for, for any particular uh, data, uh, data element that you're, you're uh, keeping track of. Uh, the, the, the accountability for that data. It's a really interesting question, you know, when you think about it. Uh, imagine an upstream company that wants to drill a well. Well, who's responsible for putting the, to, for, for owning the well? Uh, I wrestled with this question in Australia because uh, the industry there was dr delivering lots and lots of wells, but who, who actually created a well? <laughs> and uh, in, in Australia's context, the, the, the well was created when the bulldozer showed up at the site and began clearing land. It was at that point that a true well was going to be produced because up until that point, uh, it, it, uh, the, the well was an artifact that might exist on paper or in a plan, but it wasn't a real well. And so in, it's really critical to ask those questions. When does this data uh, start to originate and therefore who has accountability for uh, creating it? Um, then we get into these, uh, this question of how do you protect that data? Uh, when do you know and what is, what is its life cycle? When is it something you're going to uh, dispense with or get rid of? And going back to my well example, 
once a well is abandoned and it's been shut in, is it still a well? Like, a, or do you, is it, is it still a real thing for you? Like it's a, it's a, <laughs> these are some of these, these wrestling questions. And, and you know, typically in upstream oil and gas, you go from department, 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 there will be like 30 definitions of wells and you can't, you can't even get your hand around a, a simple answer to that, that kind of question. So clear accountability, a life cycle, knowing what the data should look like and, and who's created it. Uh, and then, uh, of course, um, uh, who and how do people have access to that data under what conditions? That is really important when you get into personal data, obviously. But uh, it's the same thing is true for financial data, investor data, and, and the like. You need to have clarity around who, who has rights to access that data. So we have discussed it in previous episodes, but one of those biggest obstacles we encounter when we implement these new structures in tech commonly revolves around that organization's bottom line. So how do we, one, define these investments in data management, and two, frame them as a capital investment producing value rather than just something that is only an expense? So this uh, question gets headlong into, or runs headlong, I should say, directly into the question of uh, financial accounting and financial management practices, not just in oil and gas, but across industry. Uh, because you know, if you start from the point of view that your, your information is an asset, then you will create a balance sheet entry for it or have a, a, a phantom balance sheet entry where you place value on that asset. Uh, whereas the traditional hi uh, history of, of uh, data is it's, it's largely viewed as an expense. And of course, once it's viewed in ex as an expense, then you treat it quite differently in the context of, uh, of the industry. Uh, so as an example here, um, let me just show a, a, a funny cartoon that, that gets at this, uh, this exact question. And, and, the, and the, the woman at the desk is saying, please explain why I shouldn't be getting rid of you uh, because you, you blew $40,000 $40, on some exercise uh, cleaning up data that didn't seem to offer any, any real value. Uh, so unfor unfortunately, this is all too common uh, in, in the industry is even if you feel like you are as a manager, you may be called to the carpet because you spent a lot of money cleaning up uh, data assets. Uh, you might resist or not bother investing time and energy in that, that kind of project. But, but in fact, uh, this is a really, really important uh, activity. Uh, and, and these are the sorts of considerations I, I come across frequently. Um, the the uh, investments in technical standards, uh, investments in hiring the right talent or people who know how to do this sort of thing, uh, making sure that, that, um, that the work that they're, they're, people are carrying out is measured and rewarded correctly and is viewed positively. Uh, this is uh, all part and parcel of this question about um, uh, getting your, your house in order around data. And, in, and it's, a, it's a big order. It, it, it will feel, as someone once said to me, it's, it feels like you're digging this huge hole, uh, a foundation for a building, where what people really want is the building. <laughs> so, but first, you have to dig this big hole. And you just have to get, get your head around it that, uh, you know, to deal with the legacy challenge, we're going to have to spend some money to get things fixed. But once we've fixed it and we've got the right infrastructure in place, the future is a lot brighter around, around data and how data, in fact, in some, some uh, uh, tech companies have shown very clearly, data quality should be free. If you're doing it right, it shouldn't cost you uh, much of anything at all because it's, it generally can be machine generated and clean from the get-go. Perfect. So the new ideas are implemented, the goals are structured, and the work can actually start. But what initiatives should an organization consider implementing to ensure that those all the way down the corporate ladder accept these changes and work with them the way that they were intended? 
Well, you know, this is a classic change management question that uh, you know you encounter over and over again in in business, um, and uh, so change, of course, starts at the top. Um, these initiatives in 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 the the practice in industry where they're the most successful is where there's a strong management led. Uh, messaging and um, and promotion of these kinds of initiatives so that they they take root. Uh, the the one of the things you learn very quickly in this era is that uh, this area is that um, the changes that are going to take place so that uh, data quality improves is not just isolated to one or two parts of the company. This becomes a much more of a cultural uh, DNA um, way of the way we work. Um, uh, messaging that that takes place that we 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 have to take very high care on on the quality of the information assets that we're that we're doing and, and of course you have to create space in people's day so that they can do uh, what you're asking them to do uh, which which uh, by definition means looking at the sorts of things that they're doing uh, that are robbing them from the time and attention to 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 make sure data assets are clear and uh, and you free them up so that they've got some so that that bit of capacity to to do it. Uh, in in the, back to my mobile app example for my field worker, uh, you know, it, it uh, if you make the app easy to use, accessible where they're doing their job out on a job site, uh, working in in all kinds of conditions, on grid, off grid, online, offline, uh, in all kinds of weather conditions, uh, and you make it easy to use, employees will collect the information correctly, perfectly, reliably every time. It's just easier for them. So, it, it, but that's a management question. If you're not prepared to put the time and energy to build that infrastructure for your people, you know, you don't be surprised if the, the information asset quality is not very good. And then sometimes we make mistakes we didn't even mean to. I remember in my data analytics course, a big first lesson for everybody was, well, that exact thing, the standardization of data. We made a big data lake of EOR projects across the country, but once we sorted that sheet later, uh, someone typing polymer injection with a capital P, capital I, was different than polymer injection, all lowercase. So how do companies govern the data as it is created and logged? Well, in, in uh, the, one of the ways to do that is that you create uh, some uh, data standards or data practices that, uh, that's, that provide guidance to your employees, in addition to people who are designing the tools to do the data collection, uh, that this is your standard of how you do this. And uh, you know, if, you, if the standards have to be memorized, I have to be very clear about this, if you are expecting your employees to memorize that the first letter in polymer is always capitalized and, and the I in injector is never capitalized, if, if, you're, if, if your employees are being expected to memorize that standard, then it's, it's yeah, good luck. But um, but if you're uh, if you at least you know that when anytime you 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 say have a company name in your database that it is going to be uh, structured in all caps or first letter capitalized or it's exactly the way the 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 company's registered with the stock exchange or on, on a company registry, then at least you you at least put the first um, st a basic standard in place for how that data is going to look. It's shocking sometimes you get into data sets and you realize how many variations there are possible for <laughs> simple things. Uh, but, but putting these guardrails in place, these, this guidance in place, this, these data standards rules um, are, are exactly what's required. And as the cartoon makes clear, you know, it's very, very um, uh, cheap to create data. It's, it's, it's unbelievably inexpensive, free. Like look how many, take a photograph of a three megabytes and, and it's just a press of a button. 
but how do you, fixing the data after you've you've taken you've fixed it or you created it is very very expensive, and uh, so the you know, more energy in upfront uh, generates a big payoff down the road. And all right, we've got Project Genesis. The ball's been put into motion, and the organization is beginning to implement their new data program. But how can a company ensure that it stays on the rails? What is important for monitoring progress to prevent reverting back to old habits of data storage and continually improving that process as you grow? Well, certainly uh, the, there's a, a significant education component here. So you have to train and teach your people what it is your, your expectations are. And uh, to the extent that companies lack uh, basic foundational um, uh, uh, training or, or um, education on what data is and how you use it correctly and the power and importance of keeping it clean. You can't expect people to um, naturally cotton on to this because it's um, the, the, these older behaviors are so deeply seated. Uh, so once you, once you land your standards of what you want your data to look like and for the purposes for which you're, uh, you're going to be uh, using it, uh, then you can uh, uh, put the education programs in place to teach your people how to uh, work in that, in that context. Then you can do things like uh, have your backward check to see, okay, so are we are we on track here? Are we are people doing what we need them to do to to improve uh, data quality? Uh, that can help us uh, find out where you know maybe there's an intervention needed. Maybe there's a part of the organization that's particularly weak here. Um, you find the, these sorts of behaviors that we um, that we the the programs we put into place for to improve our safety culture, for instance, are follow a very similar pattern. You, uh, you, you have to educate, and then you put into place your systems and processes, you run them, you identify where you've got outliers and where you need to have additional safety performance. Then you go in and, and conduct interventions to move people along. Eventually you reach a point where you say, okay, you're, you're, you're clearly not getting it. Maybe you're not suited to this, this kind of role responsibility. Then you start moving people around so that you start getting the right, uh, right people into the right spots. Uh, other techniques that come into play here are uh, tools like gamification, where you motivate and reward using these cl clever social tools, higher quality information. So you give away badges, for instance, or tokens, because so-and-so is a particularly good at making sure the data in spreadsheets is, is crystal clean and clear. Uh, and so uh, all, all of these factors taken together are the sorts of things that you need to, to move your data assets uh, up in, in, in quality and reliability. And as I say, the, the oil and gas knows how to do this, but we just don't do it with data. We do it with things like safety. And so what we need to do is bring that kind of culture into, into the data world. So the benefits of using these techniques of data collection and management are too big to be ignored, but I can easily see someone, well, like myself, getting overzealous in the implementation and introducing an absolutely daunting amount of work to my team. So how does someone know how big of a bite to take, so to speak? Yeah, this is a, uh, again, another uh, challenge that, that managers will face. And uh, the, the size of the bite actually is going to be quite different depending on what part of the business you're in and uh, what the quality is of the data that you're after and how far behind you are and the urgency of your context. So there, there isn't a clean and tight answer to how big a bite you should take, but uh, take a bite you must. And so it, it does start with that making that first move. Uh, uh, the, the place where I uh, typically uh, counsel is uh, with organizations is that they start with uh, a clear business problem in mind that they want to solve, something that is, uh, ha has some real business pain. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and you take aim there. 
because uh, you're, uh, once you start correcting the pain, in other words, you make a business problem go away, and you've done that by uh, improving the quality of the data that you're working with, and you fix the process around that, that business pain, people will get the message. They will see the results for themselves, which makes the future efforts to drive change forward by fixing data assets much more palatable. What I find that doesn't work very well is when you say, well, I'm gonna go clean up all of my data because that, that, that feels really pointless to people. They don't understand what you're trying to do. So, so what you should be doing is take a very, very clear look at where you've got a business pain uh, that you can solve. Uh, at, at some level, there will, and, and this is a, a back and forth because uh, at a business unit uh, or team um, uh, level, that maybe the data that you're after is quite, uh, quite constrained or quite tight. Uh, whereas if you're in a, um, a corporate setting, it could be uh, a much larger bite. I worked for an, an oil refinery uh, company many years ago who was trying to fix, um, it, it was trying to figure out which parts of its business were actually financially successful. And you have to think about how challenging that could be. They didn't know. So what, was, what, would, what did they tackle? They tackled all of their financial data and to, to move it, to make it better quality. That's a big bite. That's a really big bite. Uh, another project I was on, the, the, the task was quite straightforward. We had, it was a cruise shift issue in, in the, an oil sands mine. Uh, and what happened is the, the productivity of the mine would go down when you had a cruise shift uh, because the, the crews get off of the equipment and the new crew comes on. So the, the truck stopped driving, it's as simple as that. So the question was, how could you raise the performance of the shift um, by staggering the, um, the shift across uh, trucks. Not that the whole, every truck stops running all at the same time and then they all step up. You stagger them and then you could smooth out the, uh, the, um, the, the shift. Well, what data would you go after then? Well, it was, it was a lot simpler. It was crews and crew shifts and timing of shifts and so forth. And, and collecting that data was a much easier task. So, so the bike depends on the problem that you're trying to solve. And of course, the, the, the question after that is, to, is and go back to my two examples, for a cruise shift, uh, the shifts were happening every, every uh, eight hours. So the timeline was, was we, need to, we need to tackle is, is, a much, uh, is much shorter. Whereas in finance, if you're trying to figure out which economic part of your business is making money, well, maybe your timeline is over a year. So again, it, it just depends. There isn't a clean answer for this one. Uh, but I, as I say, the starting point is always the same, a real business problem. So now I want to talk money. We discussed earlier that data management needs to be framed as an investment that will ultimately create value for the organization rather than be a liability. So intrinsic value and cost realization of new tech is often misunderstood or the benefits are often simply ignored. Any tools you have to introduce so we can change this attitude? Well, there are three things that I've seen that, that uh, I've watched companies deploy with uh, some measure of success. Uh, one is, in, is to establish some metrics that could be quite arbitrary, but are still metrics nonetheless uh, that, that are targeting the outcomes that, that, uh, that companies are after. And that could be things as simple as the, the, uh, uh, an error rate within, a, uh, within your data quality, within, as, as a, within a specific data set, for, as one example, um, all the way to a dollar value um, to be placed on, on data assets. I worked for a company many, many years ago uh, who 
the, the only metric they had was the cost of data of, of disk servers. And so they, they, they looked at this growing cost of data, which was measured in real dollars associated with disk servers. And they created a chargeback mechanism back to the business unit to say, you're paying for this storage. How do we, this, these data assets, how, you need to manage your costs down somehow, which forced the business units to identify which data assets they wanted to hold were worth storing on, on uh, computer storage that was expensive. So that was a way that they, they kind of solved the, the question. This gets into real, uh, what I call management accounting uh, challenges. Like how do you think about this from a management accounting standpoint as opposed to a, a financial accounting standpoint. Second um, technique uh, is to create in your capital process a specific uh, sets of metrics associated with data assets and uh, so that they are not uh, left behind or unfunded during the capital um, cycle. An example of this is uh, I mentioned earlier in this uh, in this episode. Uh, when you're building an asset, the information that you keep that's created by the engineering procurement world uh, is um, is structured in a fashion that's different from the, how you want that information when you get into your operational world. And so, how, how do you create um, an incentive and a metric structure that motivates company and people to? creates really accurate data uh, for those two purposes, not just uh, for one and then the other, but how do you do that? So um, embedding, embedding that directly into your capital process um, uh, is, a, is, a, is another technique. And of course, third is to take focus uh, on um, the, uh, how these, this, these data assets are ultimately gonna generate value for your company and uh, making sure that, um, the, that there's a, a recognition of that value. This gets into things like, uh, for, for, for particular kinds of data sets, creating a value for them. They might not show up on your financial um, asset registry or, or indeed on your publicly traded balance sheet, but you might actually have a separate set of statements that help people appreciate the value of those assets. And that's a couple of te uh, three techniques I've seen companies use. So the final product from a successful data management plan is verified, correct, and usable data that can create value for the organization. But there's one little wrinkle I'd still like to iron out. Like you mentioned, this data can be difficult to compare between various segments of an organization. So a well here, a well there, a well anywhere. How do we make sure that a company has defined and standardized metrics for comparing different types of information? Yeah, so here a well, there a well, everywhere a well, well, you know, <laughs> Farmer McDonald. Um, so how, how, how do you do that is, uh, yeah, is uh, one of the ways is uh, back to, as I mentioned earlier, is these, these uh, um, subtle accounting measures that uh, can allocate or attribute value to things uh, is one, uh, tech, one way to do it. Uh, they, that, that, of course, uh, to be clear, you need to always tie that back to what, what the business is trying to accomplish so that you, you, know, you don't create a perversion in, in the incentive structure. Uh, to use a, an example from our gamification episode, you know, you, you create a company of excellent gamers, but um, but they're not actually generating value for you. So you have to be. This is this takes some real uh, some real um, energy and some work uh, to 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 get this right. Uh, that uh, you know you don't you don't have the metrics in in turn driving the wrong behavior. But but clearly, you know, understanding what the economics are that drive your business, and then identifying the uh, the, the data that you need for, to 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 drive those. Uh, push those drivers forward uh, is a great starting point. Uh, in my book, I described a technique called the creation of the value tree. 
And so you take your, your uh, business um, structure, balance sheet and income statement, you, you, you keep parsing those down till you get to the specific uh, end, um, uh, end element of your tree where you can be very precise. Uh, a unit of throughput on a particular uh, piece of equipment yields this much incremental production. You, you can get very, very surgical in identifying through, through value tree structures exactly what data you need so that you drive value in your business. And uh, so I, that's a very, very useful technique uh, to get there so that you are, are much more uh, precise in, in your thinking about what data that you, that you really need. So let's wrap everything up. Again, we've taken this data monster, this beast, and we've reduced it into something useful. So what are some of those major stepping stones that a company needs to begin with to set up and maintain a data strategy? What are those key areas management should make sure to include if they take anything else from this episode? Well, uh, the first and foremost uh, is to uh, look beyond oil and gas for inspiration on how to do this really, really well. There are other industries that are so much further ahead and uh, lessons that they have uh, taken on board uh, absolutely are relevant to, to, to our industry. So I, I would, as a first step, benchmark yourself to the best in, in the world and see what they're up to. They're, 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 those organizations are, are just so much better at this than, than, than uh, oil and gas. Next is uh, landing how you know, uh, mechanically and structurally you will tackle this data question internally. This is, gets into this, as we talked about, data standards and data ownership and who's got what accountability and uh, what's their authority to drive change. Uh, that in turn translates into um, the um, setting performance metrics and targets for people to achieve. And that will ultimately inform uh, capital spend. Like where do you allocate your money to do this? And uh, maybe that's in reimagining re um, a, a web front end of, of some, some system you've got, which is, becomes critical to collecting data for you. And you, you redo that so that it is much easier and more uh, uh, simpler for people to engage with. And then finally, and most critically, because there's, there's an unlimited amount of data that you can, you can deal with in, 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 our, in, in any industry and in, in most companies, it's, un, it's unbounded. So you have to bind it somewhere. And, and my advice always is you start with a business problem, either the drivers of the business or a specific business pain point. And uh, you, you, that's your, as you call it, you said earlier, Tavis, in this session, where's your first bite? That's the first bite. Take aim at a business problem. Alrighty, so that is the end of this episode. We learned a whole lot, and although we don't always agree on definitions, I think the one well definition we can agree on is Jeffrey and how he is just a never-ending well of knowledge, and he can share that knowledge with you through his book, Bits, Bites, and Barrels. I mean, I know we've been promoting it the whole time, but really, we're promoting it because it is useful, especially for you if you want to move into the future. So go to his website, buy a copy of his book, physical copies through Amazon, digital through also Amazon, or even listen to it like I do on Audible. Outside of that, he's got other courses and plenty of information. Bring it over to the Rare Petro side of things. We've got a lot of stuff too. Plenty of Monday news, research every Thursday through periodicals that you can listen to or read. Lots of stuff, but uh, I won't sell you on anything else. Jeffrey, is there anything else you'd like to say before we end this episode? Uh, one thing I wanted to just uh, draw attention to is uh, a new book uh, that I've been part of. The, this book is coming out in March, and it's called Machine Learning and Data Science for Upstream Oil and Gas. And uh, it's chock full of examples and case studies about the use of, of machine tools in improving upstream oil and gas. 
and uh, and in particular data science and this whole world of data and data management. So if you're interested in this topic and you should be because it's critical to the success of the industry, you might want to take a take a close eye at this book when it when it comes to market as well. And then I'll be sure to provide any information and links to that as well. So that is the end of this episode. Again, thank you for joining us. And until we see you next time, take care, everybody.